This sermon was preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church of Fallbrook, California on Sunday, April 7, 2019. It was based on Luke chapter 20, verses 9 to 19. Thanks for listening. The gospel today is from Luke chapter 20, verses 9 to 19, and this gospel will serve as the basis for today's sermon. Jesus went on to tell them this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over and said, This is the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What will then the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. But Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Some people never learn. We all know the saying, and we all know the people to whom that saying applies. You had that high school classmate that no matter what you or anyone told them spent roughly two of their four years of their high school career in detention or in some form of trouble. You have that, that relative who falls time and time again for the latest get-rich-quick scheme. If he had just not done that, he might have actually been rich by now. There's that prominent business owner who's also a freewheeling man who's on maybe marriage number six by now. Some people just never learn. What about these people? What about us? Do we ever learn? We who are gathered here today, we who have not given up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, we who encourage one another, not all the less, but all the more, as we see the day approaching, will we be the kind of folks who learn? Because we have everything to learn, everything we need to learn. We have this, this text today in front of us. We have people to hear it. We have a, a preacher to teach it. We can hear and we can learn the lesson of the vineyard, a lesson of grace, a lesson of rejection, and a lesson of persistence. This lesson of the vineyard comes from a parable that Jesus taught about a man who planted a vineyard. 
That's how Jesus begins. There was a man who planted a vineyard. This man, he, he mustered up all the energy he had to go and get this vineyard into the ground. He rolled up his sleeves himself and got down to work. And see, he didn't just throw money at it. Jesus doesn't say there was a man who had a vineyard planted. He says there was a man who planted a vineyard. And that was hard, back-breaking work. This man must have gotten down into the dirt. He would have rolled up his sleeves to clear away those heavy stones and build the paths and the walls and the structures that you need for a good vineyard. He tilled and treated the soil on that, that fertile, flattened slope of his estate. He planted the best of the grapes. He carved out a press that would one day foam with these floods of fresh wine. And because he would have none of this fine fruit get up and walk away in the middle of the night, he built a tower so he could keep watch over his spacious estate, keep it safe, keep it away from harm. Give it every chance it could possibly have for success, for thriving. And only then, once he had done all this work, did he hand it off to some others. He rented it out to some stewards whose task it was to faithfully tend the vineyard and so that when the, when the master would return, he could receive some of the fruits of all his hard work and investment. God is a gracious worker, is he not? Jesus was talking about the Lord our God when he told this parable to that audience of, of Pharisees and teachers of the law in Luke chapter 20. God is a gracious worker. He's been investing in his vineyard for thousands upon thousands of years, given it all that he can give. Do you think he's grown tired of that work by now? Is he tired of investing in, in you or in me? Is he throwing up his hands at the church he planted here in Fallbrook more than four decades ago? Has he had enough? Is he ready to retire? See, God has planted you in his vineyard and and when he, or he planted you in the vineyard, when he gave you the gift of faith that comes from hearing the message of Christ, the gift that the Spirit kindles in your heart, he's, he's fenced you off from the outside. He, he's fertilized and tilled the soil that you live in, and he's, he's done this through the, the generosity of others who have supported the workers called to tend that vineyard. <coughs> who've labored in it, who've, who've lent their own effort and their sweat to that process. God has given you this prize-winning view from the top of the tower where you can see all that Christ has done for you, for your sake and the sake of your forgiveness and redemption. God has taken good care of us. The riches of his grace are ours every day. They have come down through the generations to us. God never gets tired of putting his best into his vineyard. And when you put your best into something, you expect quite a lot from it, don't you? You know how much time you have devoted to, to your children 
maybe how much money you've devoted for raising your children. You, and you've done that expecting them to, to grow into a well-lived life of maturity. You have lent your strength and your many hours of labor to a business or a company or, a, or some owner or another, expecting the, the stability and the solid income that comes from a, from a good job. And so you, you put yourself into that. You sweat in the gym or you shop the produce aisle or you, you go to the, the doctors and you follow their instructions. You do all these things so that you can enjoy the benefit and the, the activity of a, of a healthy body and a healthy mind to be a, a well-rounded person. You put all this best into these things, invest so much into them, expecting these good things. But then, of course, you know that sometimes the exact opposite happens. In spite of all your efforts, your kids wander and follow a path you didn't plan. All of that effort you put into work is returned when your employer sends you packing with a pink slip so that there can be a slightly wider margin in the profits. And you know that disease can undo everything you've done to cultivate, to cultivate a life of well-being. Sometimes the opposite happens. At harvest time, he sent a vineyard, a servant to the tenants in the vineyard so they would give him some of the fruit. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So the master sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw the son, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So what did the master get for all of his over-the-top effort? All the loving, caring attention he had given to this vineyard and, and handed all these gifts over to these, these tenant farmers to take care of it. What did he get? He got cold-hearted rejection, battered, beaten, and bloodied servants. I mean, what a slap in the face. What could cause someone who had received such gifts to in turn show such rejection to the one who gave it? Was it something that the, the master said that was just so beyond the pale that it was worthy of this, this kind of treatment? Had he been unfair to them? Had he reneged on his end of the bargain? Was there something he had possibly done to earn or deserve this kind of treatment? No, it was simply the wicked hearts of these tenant farmers who ruled in their rejection. And so finally the master sent his son. I mean, surely they'll respect the very son of this master. His own flesh and blood, the son that he loves. And the tenants did indeed welcome him with, with open arms, that son, but they welcomed him not for the purpose that the father had hoped. Those arms carried the son all the way outside the vineyard and put him to death. Arms that carried a son to a cross. 
across outside the town, outside the city, where people crucified the son because he was the son. The authorities that Jesus spoke this parable to less than a week later would be charging Jesus under oath. They'd say, tell us, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And the answer was yes from Jesus' lips. And upon hearing this, the leaders, they tore their robes in anger and they said, why do we need to hear anything else? What do you all think? And the people said, he is worthy of death. He is worthy of death. And so the very next morning, they took him outside the city, took him to an ugly hill called Golgotha, and there they killed the son. Can we or will we also throw the son out of the vineyard? I mean, is that something that's even possible, right? For, for someone, someone like us, we're, we're Christian believers, we're, we're here willingly to listen to the word of God. Is this something even possible for someone like us to do, to throw out the, the son, to reject him, to rule in our own rejection, to take this great gift that God has given and just chuck it like a piece of trash, My friends, God wants you and for me to have a wholesome fear of our own fearsome willpower to stubbornly rule in rejection, to fear the sin of the modern Pharisee, the one who sees his Christian brothers and sisters as mere opportunities to enhance his own holiness and righteousness. The one who says, if everyone around here thought like I did, why then nothing wrong would have happened. Things would be just fine. To fear the sin of the miserable miser, the flaky person who's hiding behind a fortress of money whose cold comfort is to either make or break the fortunes of others with wealth. To fear the sin of the backwards bigot. The, the one who indulges in all sorts of cruel jokes or lustful looks under the rubric of, hey, boys will be boys. To fear the sin of the smug skeptic, the one who can twist and turn the scriptures into any number of new novel personal interpretations that somehow, some way, almost magically seem to support the kind of wayward conduct that that person wants to lead in life. To fear the sin of the all-consuming busybody, the one who is a, a virtuoso at slicing and dicing brothers and sisters with a well-tuned tongue and well-timed words. All the spirit-wrought growth of a generation can be poisoned to death or hacked to pieces with just those few well-placed words of gossip or some well-timed acts of betrayal. Fear the phrase from the scriptures when it says God cannot be mocked. 
I mean, what should the master do with us, do you think? Should he throw up his hands in, in, the, in the air in disgust? Should he slash and burn the vineyard that he has given us, burn it to the ground and start over again because we have been unfaithful with his gifts? No, not that. Not that at all. Not that at all. Because the lesson of the vineyard is not just one of, of gracious giving and, and fearsome rejection. It is, the, it is the tale of a persistent love. The persistent grace of God that goes to work again and again. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. May this never happen. And Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. See, Jesus brought this this terse tone to this audience today because, because he's bringing the, the persistent grace of God in the, in the face of utter obstinance. He's putting it right in their face and saying it's still right here for you. He's quoting Psalm 118, which is a psalm that offers in part some detail of the rejection the Messiah would, would end up enduring. You see, the people at Jesus' time, they were interested in, in building a kingdom of their own making. It was a kingdom that was going to be decidedly political and earthly, but Roman-free. It was going to somehow amazingly involve them sitting in power and them enjoying the wealth and having things their own way. And while what we imagine is a great kingdom is surely different than what they imagined is a great kingdom, we are just as interested as they are in building our personal kingdoms, carving out room for our own will and everything, making a, a world to our personal specifications. We're just as prone as they were to, to chuck Jesus aside like some kind of broken, useless brick that has, has nothing to do with setting the shape and the foundation of our entire life. But that's not what God's plan was. And that's what Jesus is getting at by saying, well, what does this mean then? That which was written. God's plan was always to make this common-looking stone into more than just a building block, to make it into the very cornerstone of something marvelous so that the Lord's apostle could then announce to, to believers, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You are the house that God built. You are a stone in that great structure that is built on Christ because God is a gracious worker and a persistent builder. I mean, have you ever taken the time to think and review all that God has 
overcome to build you into this house, to plant you into this vineyard that he has carved out, this well-hedged vineyard of abundance. Just go through the, the history of salvation presented for us in the scriptures. He had to overcome the rebellion of Adam, the murder of Cain, the drunkenness of Noah, the lies of Abraham, the idolatry of Aaron, the adultery of David, the denial of Peter. And there is a spot with a blank for your name and your sin. And that is also what our Lord Jesus has overcome. Even though you're in the list, God has persistently pursued you. He has overcome all things to keep you in his kingdom. And, and not only to keep you in it, but then through you and your, your life and your gifts to bring others into the same kingdom. He has endured for you and for those he will still call the heat of the deserts of sin. He has, he has swam across oceans of shame. He's climbed the mountains of rejection and gone down the other side. He's blasted the stone that once made up your hard heart and replaced it with a heart of flesh in which the Spirit now calls home. And how does he do this? How has he always done this? With a simple truth proclaimed from the lips of another not as good advice, but as good news that the Lamb of God is Jesus. And this Jesus has taken away the sin of the world and the sin of you and of me. And this good news has been, in the past, rejected millions and millions of times. Yet it has also taken root in the hearts of millions and millions of people. And today it has come to you. It has claimed you. It has forgiven you. It has set you on the path that leads not just to endless life, but to eternal life. Not merely to a nice goal for life, but a new kind of life. Not merely on a nice religious tradition that might work out for a while and help you out, and then when not, just move on to something else. He has brought you to the only truth and the only way and the only life that can make any difference and indeed does make all the difference in the world. Amen.